Good morning. Can we all just acknowledge that Will just said the words hunky-dory from stage? What a nerd. <laughs> oh, man. It's great to be here uh, and start this new series called Meals with Jesus. And um, we're going to be talking about a lot about what Will just said with Halloween, like even as an opportunity to gather around some food or some candy and just be present with people. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the series is about, but... Um, uh, how many people have, uh, you know, some so, sort of social media presence, Instagram, whatever, right? Uh, I, my wife makes fun of me because she's like, you're the perfect candidate for Instagram because the algorithm knows me way too well, okay? My, my Instagram, the things that are suggested for me are baseball, Disney, and most importantly, bulldog puppies. Look at that. Look at that. That is the sweetest face I've ever seen. This is a British bulldog. Uh, I, I have a lifelong dream of owning a British bulldog and naming it Basil St. Hubbins, but uh, I'm allergic, so I can't have one. Uh, I know, it's my curse. Then there's French bulldogs. Come on, look at them. They look like aliens, but the cutest aliens you've ever seen. I love them so much. I love the one in the back. He's just like, nobody loves me. Yeah. And if, you know, you're too patriotic for a British or a French bulldog, you get the American bulldog. And these are gentle giants. People think they're scary. They're the most lovable dogs. And I included the one with the fork because um, this does actually pertain to what we're talking about today. The other day... I, did, I mean, I definitely wanted an excuse to show bulldog puppies, but it does actually apply. Uh, the other day, I was scrolling through many, many French bulldog videos, and uh, one lady was training her French bulldog, and she said, you know, my Frenchie is very food-motivated, and it was the first time I'd ever heard the phrase food-motivated. And I just said, I must be a French bulldog, because, m <laughs> because my legs are short, and I'm very food-motivated. <laughs> and... Uh, and it got me thinking, like, isn't everything food motivated? Like, we have to be food motivated to survive. It's just such a funny phrase to me. But in the process of this, it actually got me thinking about the fact that, like, so much of the Bible is centered around meals. It's centered around food. I mean, you look at the Old Testament and how many festivals, how many feasts there are to celebrate the things that God has done for his people. And as we go through the series, you can see Jesus continually, in one way or another, sharing meals with people in a way that's meaningful. Um, and, and I don't know what that is, but maybe it's just because God knows that the, the, the fastest path to our heart is through our stomach. But uh, there seems to be something about the meal, the gathering around a table, sharing together in the presence of God and one another. And that's what this whole series is about. Why? Why does it matter um, to, to sit around a table? So often, and we're going to talk about uh, one of these parables, so, so often Jesus talks about my eternal kingdom is like this, and he goes on to describe a wedding feast, a banquet. So real quick, we're going to be a little interactive today. I think the eternal kingdom of God is a place where there is good food, and you're surrounded by bulldog puppies, and you're not allergic to them. That's what the eternal kingdom of God is like. There's good food, and you can smell it because you're not sneezing. So, 
when you get there, when you arrive at the eternal kingdom of God, what's the food you want to smell first? Shout it out. Salmon. Salmon. Chicken Alfredo. Alfredo. Somebody say pizza. Pizza. Nachos. Italian beef. A Chicago Italian beef. What else? Anybody else? (laughs) Arepas. Oh. All right, I got to stop. I'm getting hungry. Okay. We're, uh, we're going to start this, this, this series today about meals with Jesus with actually two stories that come from the same chapter. Um, and as we do, um, these two different kinds of meals tell us something very important about Jesus. And uh, if you didn't know this already, in the seat backs, there is a, a DBS card. DBS stands for Discovery Bible Study. If you're in the front row, you're going to have to turn around or ask your neighbor to share one with you. But in the seat backs, there's a, a, a DBS card so that if you like taking notes and that helps you focus and learn, you can jot down some notes. And, and DBS is just a, a way of studying the Bible and asking ourselves a few key questions. First is, what does this passage tell us about God or about Jesus, right? The second question is, what does this tell us about people in general? And then, what does this mean for me? Is there something that maybe I need to change in my life? Is there something that I need to be more focused on in my life? And so if you would like to follow along and take notes on that, um, that's a, a, a great way to do that. Let's, let's get uh, into our, our story today. This is Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read uh, uh, two stories that happen closely together. Uh, oh, these have been up the whole time. You guys are lucky. Um, here we go. Here's the scripture. Uh, when Jesus had called the 12 together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out. And went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Uh, Fast forward a few verses. When the apostles returned, so they've gone out on their journey, they've done the things that Jesus told them to do, and they returned, and they reported back to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed Every uh, healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so, so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He said, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. Key note on that, 5,000 men were there the amount of women and children were, that were there. We're talking about a huge crowd of 10 plus, maybe 15,000 people, okay? About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is a story that's actually told in a number of different times and a number of different ways in the Gospels, but it's a beautiful story. Uh, Both of these stories tell us something about Jesus. 
And the first is this. It's that he shares his work with his disciples. Look, the first one, when he called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and cure diseases. Up to this point, it's usually Jesus doing that work. He's the one healing people and driving out evil spirits. And now he's sending them out and saying, you extend the work that you've seen me do. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, go and do the things that I am doing. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Jesus shares his work with his disciples. And then in this story, they come to him and they're like, send the people away. And he goes, no, 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 you give them something to eat. He shares his work with his disciples. Now, he, he's clearly going to be the one to do the miracle, right? But he's like, what do we have? Bring it. Take this step of faith. Bring me everything you have, and let's trust. Let's, let's see what God does, right? If you've gone through discipleship pathway um, uh, with me, you, you know that there's a question I like to ask. And real quickly, discipleship pathway is, um, is a very important uh, learning community that we do regularly. There's one going on right now. We're going to start one in the new year as well. And it's, it's just simply talking about what does it mean to follow after Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And it's a seven-week uh, learning community. It's also our, our, our track towards membership. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can check it out. But in Discipleship Pathway, um, there's a question that I always wrestle with, and I've brought it up a number of times. And it's a question that was posed to me by somebody who was discipling me. And, it's, and the question is, can you be a Christian but not be a disciple of Jesus? When I say disciple, I mean somebody who is actively following Jesus, someone who's on mission with Jesus to reconcile all things to God because that's the work that Jesus is doing, to work for the healing of others, to work toward peace. Disciples are those who follow in his footsteps, loving the way he did and striving to become more like him. That's what it means to be a disciple. And the question is posed, can you be a Christian and not a disciple? And I kind of go back and forth on that. And, you know, I think, okay, what about the thief on the cross? Like, he doesn't have any opportunity to faithfully follow Jesus. He's he's going to die and then be in paradise, the scripture says, with Jesus that day. So what do we do with that? Well, I think there's a couple things we do with that. One, I think we're graded on a curve a little bit. His capacity to faithfully follow Jesus was cut short dramatically, right? And it is something to celebrate. It's something to celebrate that this man received grace and an invitation to the kingdom. But it's also something to mourn. Because Jesus said he came to give abundant life. And that's great news, but, but he, he didn't get to experience abundant life on this side of eternity, right? Wouldn't it have been better if he accepted the invitation earlier and lived a fuller life? And again, I'm not trying to, you know, split hairs. It's just one of those fun questions or one of those perplexing questions to go back and forth on. But, but, the, but my answer to the question is, I, I think, yeah, there are people, who, you can be a Christian and not be a disciple, but why would you want to? If Jesus offers us abundant life here and now, and he says you can have it by following my footsteps and sharing in my work, why would I say no to that, right? And so I think that's important for us to know. If we want to be followers of Jesus, He shares his work with us, and we are privileged to share that. Jesus gives us abundant life now, not just after we die. And that happens when we accept his invitation to this this amazing banquet. And it happens more and more as we share in his work and extend that invitation to others. That's the second thing I want us to to learn from these, these stories is this. The work of Jesus includes receiving and extending hospitality. 
Take a look at the first story. It's sharing in Jesus' work. That means going and receiving hospitality. It's living by faith and saying, I trust God so much that I'm going to leave behind all the safety net, all the creature comforts, and to rely on the generosity of others. Hospitality is a huge part of the world that Jesus lives in. It's almost like a measuring stick of your morality, of your faithfulness to God is, are you a hospitable person? He says, stay in that house. And Eugene Peterson, when he, uh, he, he did his commentary on these passages, he's like, stay in that house. Why? Don't leave because the other person has a better spread or a more comfortable couch or whatever. Stay there because it's not about what you receive in the hospitality. It's the relationship that is built. And one thing that we as disciples need to remember all the time, that the relationships we build with people, even when we're praying for them, to know Jesus, the relationships aren't one-sided. Like we, we give and receive. And that's important for us to remember because sometimes I've been in Christian circles where it's always like this top-down, like we've got the goods and they need the goods. And so they've got what we've got what they need. They don't have anything that we need. And that's just not true. We need each other. And I think that's an important thing that Jesus wants to know. I listened to a, a podcast um, uh, this weekend and uh, I wish I'd read it before our health series, but it's by a, a psychologist and a theologian. Her name is Kristen Fort, and she talked about how we are as wired up as humans. Our ability to actually relate to God and receive his love is interconnected by our ability to form healthy connections with other people. And, and you may have experienced this in your life that like things that happen even as a young child, we start to learn a script about who God is and we start to learn a script about what we think God thinks of us. And if it's an unhealthy script, it's going to lead to unhealthy relationships. And so in order for us to actually truly receive and know God's love, we have to be able to do that in healthy human relationships. That's what we're wired up for. Otherwise, we're going to be led to all kinds of funky beliefs about who God is and how he feels about us and relates with us. And that gets played out in dysfunctional ways in our lives. I could preach a whole sermon on this, but uh, we touched on this in our health series. If we have a distorted view of God and how he feels about us, that will take shape in unhealthy ways. But when we see God as he is, that his default posture towards us is that he wants to come in our homes and eat a meal with us. Jesus said, I stand the door and knock. Anybody who opens it, I will come in. We'll eat a meal together. His first thought about you is, I love you. And when we can actually receive that and see God in that way, it sets us up for healthy decision-making and discipleship. But in order to experience that, we actually need healthy relationships. We need each other. We have to be able to depend on one another. That's hard to do, but we need to open ourselves up to say, I need you and you need me. Let's do this together. The second story is about sharing hospitality. If the first one's about receiving, this one's about sharing in other tellings of this story, it says Jesus had compassion on the crowd. He shares a meal with them as an act of love and compassion. And it reminds us that God loves to provide for us like a good parent loves to take care of their children and see them thrive. When we share hospitality, we're sharing with each other the heart of God. With our actions, we are de declaring to one another, you are welcome and you are loved. 
Those of us who've experienced the power and the presence of God in our lives invite others to come and share a meal with us. And when we do that, we're extending hospitality, but really we're extending the presence of God. The life of a disciple is wrapped up in both sharing and receiving hospitality. Okay, the next one. Jesus uses simple faith to work miracles. In the first story, he sends them out to act in faith. He just says, trust me to provide for you. Receive hospitality. Act in faith. Preach the good news. Heal people. And what happens? People get healed and they receive the good news. Because the power of Christ is working in all of that. The second story, bring me everything you have. It's not enough, I know. But guess what? It will be enough. It's so important for us to remember that when we're following Jesus, he calls us to be faithful. And almost always the work of faithfulness is in blessing others in simple ways. And like the disciples, sometimes we were like, but God, I don't have enough to offer. What do I have to offer? There's this huge crowd and all I have is a little bit of fish and some bread. And Jesus said, that's not a problem. Even the simplest steps of faith can be worked into big miracles. It's why we, why we talk about prayer walks here all the time. It's not hard to, to pray for the people in your spheres of, of your life, your neighbors or the people you work with or the people you go to school with. That doesn't take extraordinary faith, but God does extraordinary things when we pray for others. He sets up conversations that wouldn't have happened otherwise. It leads to opportunities like Will was talking about for, for hospitalities, for invitations around your table or their table. I think about this when I think of giving, and I don't love talking about money too much because we've all seen you know, some, some TV preachers that are like, if you give today towards my private jet, you'll get a Bentley. And I'm like, mm. So it weirds me out. I'm not going to lie. It weirds me out. And so, like, I, I don't love talking about money, but when we talk about giving to the church or to, to, to things that we believe in, you know, sometimes I remember being in a position where it's like, I only got a few bucks to give. That's not going to make a difference at all. Like, you may be thinking, like, I'd love to help out with Hardy Harvest, but I don't, I don't know if I've got the resources to actually put together a whole bag and a gift card. Well, maybe partner with somebody else. You might be able to say, like, well, it's not enough, but... It could be enough. Let's do this together, right? We're going to see students get baptized today. God is doing amazing things in our student ministry. You may say, man, I'd love to support that ministry, but I just got a few bucks to give. Yeah, God can do amazing things with just little steps of faithfulness. Giving isn't just about, like, you know, our, our ability to support something. It's also about our trust in God, believing that he will take even the littlest steps of faithfulness that we have and, and multiply it into something much greater. There's other simple ways. Just making time for a meal around a table. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to, our, our wheels are turning because we've made so many relationships uh, with the Afghan community here in Fremont. And uh, Ruth Ritter and Alan Kai uh, and, and I just had a real quick huddle last night because there's this need in the community for community. Just a place to come and be with other women and just talk. Get out of the house and just be in the presence of other people and have conversation. There's loneliness. And 
We did ESL and that was great, but all of our ESL teachers feel like they're overstretched because they serve in so many different ways. And we've had a hard time, you know, um, recruiting ESL teachers because some of, of our people are saying, I'm not qualified. I don't think I can teach. But you could show up, right? I would love it to see a group of women, just a few, would say, you know what? We're going to just show up. We're going to make space to just hang out, have a conversation over some tea and a dessert. That simple step of faith of just showing up and building relationships to say to that person, you are welcome and you are loved. God can do miraculous things through simple steps of faith like that. We don't have any details about that, but if that piqued your interest or the Holy Spirit was like, just now, come and talk to me or to Ruth and and we're going to figure out some structure for that. But we want to make space for the people in our community who just need community. We may not have much to offer, but we do have that, right? Bottom line of this is God is not asking you to be a superstar. He's not asking you to be anything that you are not. He's just asking you to believe that he blesses the simplest steps of faith in a way that's way beyond our imagination. Okay, one last thing. There is something holy about sharing a meal, and that's the point of this whole series, is how much language in Scripture there is around sharing meals together, celebrating feasts and festivals together. There's one thing about this, and this is the reason I chose this telling of the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke. is because Luke and I believe Jesus are doing some very clever foreshadowing here. I want you to look at these two passages. One is from Luke 22. This is the last meal Jesus shares with his disciples. Look at the language. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, you will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, look at the passage we read earlier. The same exact language. He takes the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Some, some interesting foreshadowing here. And we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper next week. That's the meal we're going to focus on. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey, you used to celebrate this in this very kind of narrow way, right? Through this, this meal, this ceremonial meal. But now we're extending it beyond that. This meal doesn't need to, to fit within a religious service. It can happen around your tables. It can happen on this mountainside with 15,000 people where Jesus gives thanks. He breaks the bread and he distributes, provides in the same way that he's gonna do that later in the Lord's Supper. And there's something about this too that, that screams, uh, you know, Jesus is doing something new. You notice that in all the stories that we're gonna read, including the one today, Jesus does ministry with, not necessarily ministry to. He shares a meal. He doesn't just distribute and say, you need this, take it, now go. No, he says, let's sit together. Let's share this meal. Let's break bread together. Let's have a conversation around this meal. There's something holy about that. 
One last curiosity about this, and again, I think Jesus is brilliant in the way that he does this, um, and only, you know, Bible nerds like Kate Jackson, who wrote this book, Dining with Jesus, uh, <laughs> smart people like to figure this out. How much was left over at the end of the meal? Do you remember? Twelve basketfuls. This is a, this is a, a callback to Leviticus 24. There's a, a, a part of the worship ceremony where 12 loaves of bread were to be set near the most holy of holies as an offering to the Lord. 12 basketfuls of bread known as the bread of presence. There's 12 basketfuls left over because Jesus is saying this is a reminder of the covenant that God has with man. That I will be present with my people. It once was in the most holy place, in this very sacred thing, and now Jesus is saying it's exploded far beyond that. The bread of presence, the reminder of Jesus' presence with us is far beyond the walls of the temple, and it's with the people around tables. It's what he means in the book of John when he says, I am the bread of life. I am with you. I'm the one who sustains you through my presence. I'm keeping my covenant that I will be present with you. And now, like I said, it's not just in the temple, but it's in your homes around tables with other people. I go with you everywhere you go. I'm here with you now, and I am for you. So much packed into this one story that I've read over and over and over again, but the details, as I see them fresh, I just see God working. And how does he work? He works through his presence. So what does this passage tell us about Jesus? It tells us that he shares his work with his disciples. And that work of Jesus includes receiving and extending hospitality around a table. Jesus uses simple faith to work miracles, and there's just something holy about sharing a meal. What does this mean for us? It means that when we receive and extend hospitality, we're extending the presence of Jesus. A meal is not just a meal. We're saying, I am with you, I am for you. Jesus is with us, and he is for us. There's something holy about it. So the question that we can leave here with is, well, how can I be intentional about my meals this week? You know, maybe you're, you're the person who's too busy to eat meals, and so you drink the Soylent shakes. Sorry, no judgment, but that's gross. Actually, that is judgment. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> But how can you be intentional about your meals? Make them more purposeful. Who can you invite? Whose invitation might you accept? Coffee, a meal, a tea or a pastry with an Afghan mom who just needs to connect. A snack with a kid in Powerhouse or a slice of pizza on Wednesday night with our middle school and high school students. Yes, we are always in need of people who will build discipleship relationships with our young people. Maybe it's at school thinking about the lunch table differently. Seeing the person who's lonely and saying, mm, that's not okay. I'm going to go sit with them. What might that look like for you? Maybe it's taking a meal or some cookies to someone who's, who's joining us online because they can't come in person. Because they're sick or they're immunocompromised or whatever reason they can't be here with us. And if you'd like to share in that way, come and talk to one of our pastors. We'll let you know who could use that kind of care and how you might go about it. Meals are not just for survival. They are holy and they open up space for the presence of Christ to be extended. And as I close, 
There's something holy about what's going to happen next in this place. We are going to see four people get baptized and we're going to celebrate with them. And if you're new to the Christian faith, baptism is uh, something that actually is older than, than Jesus' incarnation. It's older than Christmas. Um, and baptism was a symbol at that time of forgiveness of sins, of being cleansed, right? And then Jesus came and he gave so much more meaning to it. Um, there's two key verses that help us understand what baptism is. This is from Romans 6 and says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be reunited with, or sorry, united with him in a resurrection life like his. So the symbol here, is when the person getting baptized goes under the water. It's a symbol of saying, I identify with the death of Jesus. I believe that his death is enough to forgive me for my sins and give me new eternal life. When they come up out of the water, they're saying, I identify with the resurrection of Jesus because he lives, I too live. A new life now, a new spirit-filled life now, but also eternal life in his presence. But it's not just an individual thing. This is what Ephesians 4 says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does that life look like? It looks like this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So a worthy of the calling you received is about relationships. It's about community. It's about unity, Right? And then he goes on to say this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Baptism is about these individuals saying, Jesus' life, death, death resurrection, it's for me. Because he lives, I live. But it's also us saying, we're in this together. So they're saying to us today, I am a part of this family and God's worldwide <laughs> ancient family across all time and place. But we all have a role to play too today. Today, the first thing our role is, is to celebrate them. So what's going to happen is they're going to come up one at a time. Uh, the person who's baptizing them, Pastor Becca, is going to baptize Vaughn Nisham. Um, and then Avi is going to baptize her sister, Zar. And then Cesar Molina is going to baptize his sons, Samuel and Santiago. And those baptizers are going to ask the baptizees, that's not a word, uh, two questions. And these are the questions they're going to ask. Do you trust Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and to give you eternal life? And, and the second question, do you trust Jesus as Lord, striving to follow him faithfully for the rest of your life? And when they answer yes to those questions, they'll say, because of your faith in Jesus, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they're going to go under the water and come up out of the water. And that's where we come in. We celebrate. We make noise. Anybody bring a cowbell today? No? Okay. Well, we're going to clap and we're going to shout and we're going to celebrate with them because what God has done in their lives. But we're also saying we commit. 
We celebrate today, but long-term, we're saying we commit to you. You're not in this alone. As you have made this decision to follow Jesus faithfully, we are your church. We're gonna walk with you through this life as you seek to follow Jesus. And it is a beautiful thing, a holy thing that we are celebrating today. So I'm gonna ask uh, Ed and Haley Yoon to come up and they're gonna share the stories, the testimonies of those getting baptized today. Then the band is gonna play. And while the band is playing and we're worshiping together, the baptizers are gonna... Baptize the baptizees. I'm just making up new words. Let me pray for us before we celebrate this together as a church family. Lord, we are so thankful. Lord, that you, um, you knock on our doors and say, if you invite me in, we could share a meal together. That you want to be in our midst. That you invite us into your presence, God. We are so grateful for that. So grateful for that. Lord, as we continue on this series, open up our eyes to all the ways that you are seeking to be present in our lives. All of the ways that you're knocking on the door of our lives and our hearts. And God, as you work through your presence in our lives, let us be courageous to take simple steps of faith to extend your presence into the lives of others. And thank you, Lord, for the four who are being baptized today, for what you've done in their lives, for the love that you've shown them, for their stories, and for those who are here to celebrate them and the influence they've had on them, God. We as your family just celebrate, and uh, we are just so grateful. Um, Be present in this place, in this celebration. Remind us, God, of your loving kindness. And, and the life that comes from knowing Jesus, his life and his death and resurrection. We celebrate that today in this place. In Jesus' name.